Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. And this is a special podcast extra to discuss the recent events at Fairfax with the announcement that a quarter of the newsroom will be slashed and a subsequent journalist strike. I'm Olivia Rosenman and there are three Fairfax journos joining me in the studio to explain what's going on and what they're trying to achieve. Lucy Cormack is a consumer affairs reporter with the SMH and has been with the company for four years. Hi, Lucy. Hi, how are you going? Han Nguyen has been working as a casual reporter for the SMH for a year. Hi, how are you going? And joining me on the line from Canberra is Eric Bagshaw, who is a federal political reporter, both for the SMH and The Age, and Eric's been with the company for three years. Hey, Olivia, how are you going? Lucy, can you explain why you've decided to take strike action? Fairfax announced a couple of weeks ago that they were going to cut another $30 million from the editorial budget. We knew that that was going to come largely in the form of staff cuts and we found out the day before yesterday that, in fact, that was going to mean 125 jobs in total uh, from our newsrooms at the Herald and The Age. That is about a quarter of our newsrooms and proportionately is, is the biggest cut we've ever had. We believe that they haven't done enough, management hasn't done enough to look for cost savings elsewhere and that we shouldn't be the target of, of these cuts every single time as we have been year after year after year. The strike is illegal. It's not been sanctioned by the Fair Work Commission, which does put you all at risk of personal fines and, of course, losing your jobs. A strike, by its very nature, is a standoff. But what happens next? The Fair Work Commission hasn't actually ordered us back to work yet, and the company hasn't gone to them, which some of us are probably pretty surprised by. Um, so at this stage, we're still just on an illegal sort of wildcat strike, but uh, there are no clear kind of uh, sort of punishments uh, being touted to us as of yet, as far as I understand. Eric, you're in Canberra and Tuesday, of course, is Budget Day. Fairfax Papers' coverage of the budget is not only an important event for the paper's revenue, but it's also an important public service to explain the budget to Australians. So is striking through the budget a responsible decision to have taken? I mean, it's a big debate we're having all the time. Uh, It's one that we didn't take lightly at all. I think, you know, of all of all days, our social responsibility to the public on budget days is probably the greatest for the press gallery. And I think it shows that the fact that we are going out for a week and that that we supported um, the decision taken by the Melbourne Sydney House Committees to go out for that week, or not by the House Committees, rather by the entire floor, because clearly we are in such a desperate situation that we had no other choice. And, And obviously we feel awful for our readers that would that they would have to miss out on that coverage. But when you're kind of backed into a corner, you, you really can't do anything else. And you, if we're going to use a particular event as leverage, then surely Tuesday's budget is probably it. And I think it also sends a really strong message to both the company, but particularly the readers of, of Sydney and Melbourne and, and Canberra, that these are the events where they need our voices and they need our, our dedicated um, reporters who, who are skilled in these areas and can give the analysis required. And this is an example of an occasion where they may not have that and that paints a, a potential picture for them for the future. If, if we keep going the way we're going and Fairfax management continues to cut in the way that they are, that might be a reality in future. So despite the strike, the paper is still being published. The website has new content and the paper has gone out this morning, albeit with a massive typo on the front page, which perhaps is a good indication of uh, things to come. But let's talk logistics. How is that actually happening if the bulk of the staff are on strike? 
So there's about 10 core staff, exempt staff at the moment who, under the agreement, they cannot strike. And that was basically a deal struck with the union, um, must have been a decade or so ago, where you have a core number of staff to ensure that the paper can go out every single day as part of that public responsibility. So basically, you have a team of, of 10 pulling together the work of hundreds using lots of wire copy. So things like AAP, Bloomberg, they might even use some feeds from the New York Times, and basically cut, cutting and pasting that into a paper and hoping to put, put something out every morning that is, is kind of is, is readable. And, you know, for the average reader, they may not notice the difference immediately, but it's the incremental stories, the stories that start on page 10, you know, one week and then move through and all of a sudden it's, you know, it's a, it's a widespread scandal that affects the entire state or the entire country. Those stories don't exist anymore in that model. It just becomes this kind of cookie-cutter manufacturing role. And when you only have a staff of 10, that's the kind of coverage you get. And that really has a massive impact on, on public discourse. But they're also obviously bringing in, trying to bring in a lot of casuals and freelancers um, to fill pages as well. So that's a big part of the, the push there. And I'm sure Han can talk about um, her experience um, in, in that role and the kind of difficult position that I imagine that would put casuals and freelancers in. Absolutely, Han. Were you approached to come into work on Wednesday? Yeah, so when I heard about the strike, I, I honestly thought straight away, no, I'm not going to work because I was, I was rostered on for this weekend. But a group of casuals and I, we talked amongst each other and we, we just all decided that we weren't going to work. We all agreed <laughs> that we'd rather earn the respect of our colleagues who are full-timers and lose our job than break the picket line. I risk losing my job. I'd rather that than, um, than losing the respect of colleagues who have been in the industry for years. But it was a tough decision. But I am in the fortunate position where I still live at home, I still go to uni, and most of the casuals are in the same position as I am. We can kind of risk that. We can risk it, you know. Many people have been warning about the threat of both Sydney and Melbourne turning into one-paper towns with the Daily Telegraph and the Herald Sun. But while Australia's legacy media are certainly struggling, and we have seen recent announcements of cuts at News Corp papers as well, the past few years have seen the successful launch of several new local branches of international publications, such as BuzzFeed, The Guardian, Huffington Post, and most recently, The New York Times. So what do we, in fact, lose with the diminishment or indeed the closure, if that's what it comes to, of the SMH and The Age? Well, I think both publications in Sydney and Melbourne have really developed a voice over, you know, over the entire period that they have existed. Um, we have very dedicated, at the moment, but this may not be the case in future, the moment we still have dedicated reporters on rounds. I cover consumer affairs almost exclusively unless I'm doing a, a weekend breaking news shift. Eric was formerly education reporter. We have a health reporter. We have urban affairs reporters. Having someone fixed in that round learning about that round for you know two three years they become a real expert in in that and they know you know they're up to date on any developments what's going on I think we lose we risk losing that expertise and that voice in the newer models of, of foreign outfits which might just have a variety of reporters covering a number of different issues that's not to say that's not valuable coverage but I think certainly a good example for for the Herald and and the age is is our arts and entertainment our arts pages are going to be decimated by this. We are losing pretty much all of our arts writers, it seems. They're, they're yet to confirm a number. That 
pretty much means the coverage of, of, of Sydney's art, theatre, music scenes, books, editors, book reviews, all of these things we are going to lose. And um, I think it's a different model when it's coming from an overseas outfit that just has five reporters covering a range of things as opposed to fixed departments and, and reporters in, in the Herald, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's very hard to break stories without having a round often. And that's just because rounds offer contacts. They offer mm. a, an area of expertise, as, as Lucy said. So you get to know the issues that are happening in that space. Like one of our, our former health editor, Amy Corduroy, she was known as the real shadow minister for health for a while there because she was so good at keeping the government to account and picking up every single hiccup they made. And so it's those kinds of things that there is, you know, BuzzFeed does an amazing job, for instance, something like Indigenous Affairs, really good coverage, does really good work with LGBTI issues. But it's unlikely that a major news organisation, global news organisation like BuzzFeed, is going to have an education rounds reporter or a health rounds reporter based in New South Wales who covers state politics, you know, day in, day out. And you just can't do that if you're a global org, um, unfortunately. So... You know, it's, it's great that some of those organisations are, are flourishing, although a lot of them are struggling too, admittedly. Mm. But you, you cannot replace the experience of people who stick in a particular area of expertise for a couple of years. And, and that's, that's equally true of, of federal politics as well. While we're talking about global organisations, Miranda Ward wrote in Mumbrella yesterday that Fairfax leadership is not to blame, but rather year on year of declining revenue. And of course, that is inextricably intertwined with Google and Facebook, who have swept in and sucked up the majority of the advertising spend that papers like The Age and the SMH used to rely on. So would you agree with that? And should instead you be protesting out the front of Facebook's headquarters on George Street? Look, that's that's true. There's no denying that that has played a massive role in our declining funds and uh, and declining base of journalists. But we feel that right now, what's more realistic for us is speaking to our own management, who is making the decisions day in day out that are affecting us. We believe there are cost cutting measures they could be looking at other than trimming the fat off of the editorial newsroom departments, bonuses, board member salaries, all of these things which they refuse to consider uh, to save money in, in situations like this. Yes, Google and Facebook are a problem, but I don't know that Google's going to have much, pay much attention to journalists you know, from another organisation just because it's, it's a competition. You might be called back to work or you might last the full seven days of the strike, but either way, what happens next? It's probably not the best time to speculate as to what happens then. We, as a you know, there's a whole range of discussions being being had within the house committees and between various stakeholders. So it's it's very hard to talk tactics publicly. But you know, whatever we do, it will be about guaranteeing the best outcome and and hopefully some concessions in the long run to make sure that we can save some jobs. And I think what we can say at this point is that we have two very dedicated. Uh, extended House Committee teams working on our campaign in Sydney and in Melbourne. We are running that campaign online, on social, you know, here we are today. These are these are strong messages we're sending out. So that's a, sort of really our biggest focus going through. It's, it's a very much, as Eric said, a day-to-day. We have to assess each day as it comes. So um, the most important thing for us now is getting the message out, meeting our readers on the streets, which we've been doing in Sydney uh, yesterday afternoon and also again this morning. And we're getting a really great response. We are having people run up to us and say, oh my goodness, I've heard what's happening. I am a reader. I'm a subscriber. I've l- read The Herald all my life. 
and readers are concerned. We will leave it there, guys. We wish you the best of luck and thank you very much for coming in and speaking with us. Thanks, Thanks, Olivia. No worries. My name's Olivia Rosenman and this has been a podcast extra of Fourth Estate.